Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Talking City podcast. My name is Seb Parkinson. I'm delighted today to be joined, as always, by Simon Baikowski. Before we begin, before we get into the pod, I just want to read this to you. Very soon, you'll be able to watch this podcast live on our Facebook page as it happens in real time, as well as being able to tune in on YouTube of an evening the same day. And of course, the audio product wherever you get your podcasts. It's very exciting. If you aren't already subscribed, head over to the Man City MEN Facebook page and search Talking City on YouTube. It's all free. Don't have to pay a penny to join us. Now, on with the show. Simon, it was a a win for City on Wednesday night against Burnley. Uh, I think we sort of expected it to be maybe four goals to nil rather than three to one. Um, I think Edison will be a bit disappointed that he didn't get his clean sheet bonus at that late goal, but... Just want to uh, run through the game with us. City took a 3-0 lead. Didn't expect Burnley to offer much after that, but they fought back. They got a goal. What happened? Uh, yeah, it was as expected. And, you know, it's it's hard to get too excited about things when they turn out as expected. But the, the hard work still needs to go in to make sure that that happens. Um, you know, plenty of uh, excitement at the start. Like Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne was making his first start since the first game of the season and uh, and then the other surprise was kind of Mateus Nunes who came into the team and no one really knew where he was going to play and I still think he doesn't know entirely where he's going to play um, but he was very good and created the first goal for, for Julian Alvarez uh, a quick free kick for for, for the second goal um, inside kind of 22 minutes and you sort of feel like the game was won at that point but for, for good measure Rodri Slapped in a third uh, just as the second half started. Uh, return of Erling Haaland in the second half, which was another big positive. John Stones played a full match. Um, yeah, the only disappointment, as you say, was really the wiping out of the clean sheet at the end. Um, Josco Gradiol, not great. Um, switching off at the end to to let Burnley get a goal back. That's the first goal Burnley have scored against City in five years, which is slightly staggering, but helps you to kind of understand why um everyone did expect City to win this game so so comfortably I, I suppose the um not not that you took anything away from the night but it felt quite low key and it, it felt like the biggest story of the night was always going to be what happened between Liverpool and Chelsea uh at Anfield and Liverpool with a big win that um kind of reasserts the fact that um City aren't likely to sort of have this title race all their own way because they're still five points off top. Yeah, so let's just run through the game chronologically then. Pep's unusual celebration after his sec- after City's second goal. So obviously I, I was watching it from, from TV, from home, and you saw it and you're thinking like, what? why why against Burnley at 2-0? Is he reacting like that? So from what you saw in the press box and what, you, what, what was said in the press conference afterwards... Just for, for anybody who's not seen that or not heard that, we just want to run through that. Yeah, so so basically when City 
um, City scored. They had a free kick about 30 yards out from goal and they piled everyone into the box and De Bruyne got ready to take it. And then kind of as the Burnley, it was only a maybe a two-man wall, as the wall jumped up to kind of stop the ball going into the box, um, the ball had in fact been kind of fizzed along the floor straight into the box and uh, Alvarez was there to slot it into the bottom corner. So, you know, everyone loves when a free kick routine comes off. Um, I think that that uh, that Dutch goal against Argentina in the World Cup was was one of the goals of the tournament for that kind of just sh- sheer sensation of something coming off like that. Um, but City score, Guardiola um, celebrates, goes straight over to one of his backroom staff, Carlos Vicens, and uh, celebrates with him. Basically, City, in their kind of week in Abu Dhabi when they were training, put a lot of work into set pieces, dead balls. Vicens, when he came up from the academy in 2021, uh, he was given the role of sorting out City set pieces because they'd never kind of been great at them. Like they've been okay, but there was kind of the opportunity there to do something with them. And they had an amazing season. They scored 21 goals from, from set pieces and conceded just one. It's, it was a Premier League, it smashed the Premier League record and no one's come close since. But City have slipped a bit since as well. Uh, so it was kind of a recognition when they went away to train in Abu Dhabi that, set pieces is something that we can maybe look at and do better at. And since they've come back, Nathan Ake's goal from the corner at Tottenham uh, was the winner. And then Burnley, the second game in a row where these set pieces are already paying off for City. So that's why Guardiola was kind of happy enough to go over to to Vicenz um, t- to let him sort of take the take the credit because, you know, it, it is a, a team effort. Um, Pep can't do everything himself. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of his coach is coming good and the players on the pitch executing it. And, you know, it's no surprise either that Ake's goal came from a De Bruyne corner and Alvarez's goal was a De Bruyne free kick. Yeah. Cause it, it, it sort of paints a bit of a, you know, peek behind the curtain as well with, the, with what he was saying in the post-match press conference. Cause a lot of people just credit Pep with being this genius, but he sort of, he sort of alluded to a bit cause he, I think he said, I don't know quote unquote this, but he said basically, I'm not good enough or I don't have enough time. He sort of corrected himself with it by basically saying yeah, he handed both, that yeah. over yeah, to Carlos and Jack. And it, it sort of gives you an insight as to how important Pep's backroom staff are to to maintaining this level and to to producing what City do. Yeah, and you know, Pep has had success despite losing kind of members of his backroom staff, but you would also kind of look at the period, you know, the only year City didn't win the title was um, the year when Arteta left midway through the season to join Arsenal. And I'm not for one second suggesting that they lost the title because he lost Arteta, because um, that would be silly. But the the feeling over the second half of the season, because um, he lost his sort of long time assistant uh, the year before that, was that he was just taking on too much. And he was kind of had too many responsibilities and was trying to do more than he does and more than he's good at. And then obviously the pandemic came and after the pandemic, he gets his longtime friend and mentor Juan Malilo uh, in on the the backroom staff and and things become more balanced and better. And, you know, uh, Vicenz joins in in 2021. So they've, they've kept tweaking it. And, you know, they lost two assistants in summer in Rodolfo Burrell and Enzo Maresca, but the Lilo came back and brought his right hand man. So there feels like there's there's a balance because yeah, it's like um the goalkeeping coach who gets a mention every so often is so important for the goalkeepers because as much as Pep can look after sort of, you know, some aspects for Edison or Ortega and whatever, he can't really train them. Um, you know, it'd be like me telling you how to produce a video. Like there's there's no world in which I can say anything that will <laughs> make make you uh, you know think about oh yeah that'd be quite good because it's just it's a specialist role and um Pep doesn't have those skills and why should he so yeah it, it is the the big team at City that is um is very very important in supporting Pep and kind of making him 
be the best that he can be. Yeah, you do see a lot, don't you, in business and stuff where it's like the best bosses are the people who, who are good at delegating rather than just taking everything on themselves. So it, it's uh, it's good to see. And it's sort of, again, it, it's sort of good to see a little peek behind the curtain as well with with uh, with the art of Manchester City. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was really interesting, actually, in the pre-match press conference, Guardiola talking about how, why he thinks he's a better manager than he used to be. And his feeling was that he used to work 24 hours like every day he used to be obsessive and he used to be obsessed with everything to do with it because he thought that he wasn't being professional or that he was like not sort of finding what he needed to find if he didn't work all all those hours and now he's learned that he can do what he needs to do without needing to um be so switched on all the time so he can relax more and so you know all it was topical because Jurgen Klopp's leaving because he's he's low on energy like you look at Guardiola and he looks like he's got more energy than when he started at City because he's got that support network, but also he's learned to be more efficient and more effective. And, you know, without this turning into like a, a business leadership um, podcast, like that is really important. And if you look at sort of the the, the best leaders or whatever, they will say that, that time management and, um, you know, learning to be the best most productive version of yourself is is so important i'm going to use this as a good transition a good leader knows when to make changes and keep people in so we saw nunez come in for kovacic Sai, on wednesday night uh why basically he played well but why yeah i think i think a lot of rotation uh was needed just because we're not in this like we're in a very strange or we have been in a very strange window for city where they've not had many games like we're, we're coming back to games every three days and that's going to be great. But rotation is kind of necessary then because you need to rest players. But when you've not played in so long, you need uh, minutes in the legs for rhythm. And we've seen Kovacic um, who played very well at Tottenham, but has played in January and done uh, really well. And, you know, Nunes has not been as involved. So if you want Nunes to be part of the squad, in February and March and know that, you know, he's an important player to start or to bring off the bench. You need him to have those minutes in the legs. It's the same with uh, Rico Lewis, who started ahead of Kyle Walker. So you, you kind of, you need those players to, to play. And then as well, it's probably, um, you know, a useful opportunity with a favorable fixture at home against one of the, the worst teams in the division to, to let, Nunes be Nunes and and see if he can sort of mould his way into the team because he, he's still quite such a, an interesting profile for the team and we saw it again he he reminded me a lot of um, João Cancelo a lot of the game especially with wearing his old number he was sort of popping up at the side of both boxes and it was a real kind of roaming performance but he's um, you know he he's definitely not Ilkay Gundogan uh, but he showed kind of what different skills he he does have so it was a really interesting um night for Nunes and one of his most positive ones well the, yeah the benefit is is that a player comes in that's their chance to impress and it feels that he's done that which gives Pep, Pep a bit of a headache now going into Monday night's game um obviously Bernardo Silva was on the bench as well so you sort of expect him to come back in so then, it, it, again, it, it's like a positive negative, <laughs> like that that they've got all these players available fighting for a place. Um, we will talk about the Kyle Walker Rico Lewis situation or situation. I make it sound worse than it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will discuss why Kyle Walker was on the bench in part two. But before we do end part one, side, I uh, just want to talk to you about Gavardio. You mentioned him earlier on. Um, we said on the last podcast we were on together that the jury's still out on him. And he hasn't set the world alight. And I think you gave him a five in your player rate. I think he was the lowest rated player in the team that you gave, probably for Burnley's goal, I would imagine, um, based on that. But he he hasn't he has sort of failed to to grasp it. Now, could that be first first season syndrome under Pep Guardiola, or do you think there's a bit more to it? I think it's first season syndrome and I think it's playing out of position, really. Um, you know, I know Pep has kind of defended his his decisions and say, oh, you know, I saw him when he was a left back and he was great. But you speak to the player and you don't get the sense that left back is is where he enjoys playing and where he's comfortable playing. And, you know, we saw at the World Cup how amazing he was at centre-back. Um, and he's obviously done it for 
for Leipzig and earlier in his career. So, you know, it, it still seems a bit odd that they've bought this um, centre-back for a marquee f- fee and are, and are playing him at left-back and continuing to play him at left-back despite kind of, um, yeah, him continuing to show that he's not kind of the most positionally aware at left-back as you need to be. It's like we get to this stage in the season again and you sort of think, what's a City going to do at left-back? Um, you would imagine, you know, these big months of the season coming up that um, Nathan Ake will probably slide across to left-back with, you know, Diaz or Stones or Akanji. Um, in the middle you know I would be very surprised to see Guardiola still in the team for kind of United at home Liverpool away that kind of run Um, because when you look at it he's not playing as well as the other defenders are and you do feel for him because it's his first season and he's not a left back and he's only 21 as well which is really really young um, for such a an important position at an important team Uh, but you know unfortunately for him you're just talking about the competition for places like there are more defenders that are better than him than there are places in the team at the minute yeah and like you say he's only in his early 20s uh, but what, one thing I want to throw to you before we we move on to the break and we move on to part two um, I feel that City have never really cemented a left back since is it Kolarov was Kolarov the last sort of proper downright left back and then before that was Gail Clichy Feels that City's left back position is one that they've never seemed to just absolutely nail. Yeah, I mean, um, Kolarov was a left back until Guardiola came in and said, "No, he's going to be a centre back now." <laughs> so it's uh, it's one of those things. Obviously, Mendy was the big buy um, that didn't work out. They've had, you know, Danilo came as a right back who could play left back. Cancelo obviously nailed the position for for a year, year and a half. Um, They've had Zinchenko there. They've had Fabian Delph there. It it really kind of supports the idea that, you know, left back is the, nobody wants to be a left back. It's the worst position on the pitch because anyone can play left back, stick them in. But, um, you know, we're coming up to like the year anniversary of Pep just deciding he played Bernardo Silva there, kind of not have a left back. Um, But yeah, you know, when someone does drop into left back and it really clicks, um, it is amazing and you know last season once once Ake went in there you know he was really quite formidable and, and Akanji did a terrific role as well in some very difficult matches um, like the Real Madrid one so um, yeah I, the, the thing you always have with City left backs is um, as much frustration as there may be at not buying one it's kind of like well who would you buy there, there doesn't seem to be many options sort of and we're talking probably like you know last six years you could say this um there's been some kind of why aren't City buying a left back um they've never really been uh, many options if you could say right um you can get Robertson next week then then I'm sure City would but aside from from him there really aren't too many people who you think would come in and really make a, a difference yeah, well, uh, we're going to end part one there, Si. And uh, we have, I just want to <clears throat> let the listeners know, half term's coming up. If you've got kids and you're living in the Manchester area, Manchester City have got the stadium tour that they're pushing. We've teamed up with them to give away one listener the chance to go on that stadium tour and experience the incredible features, the virtual press room and everything. I'm going to play an ad in a second which is me so bear with me <laughs> it'll be me linking to myself so we'll be back in part two in just a second but if you want to enter that competition here is how we've teamed up with manchester city to bring one listener the ultimate manchester city fan experience immerse yourself in city's state-of-the-art stadium tour experience featuring all three of the treble winners' trophies, as well as a first-hand feel as you walk out from the Etihad Stadium glass tunnel. But that's not all. Not only will you have a full tour of the stadium in all its glory, you will sit in Pep Guardiola's seat on the touchline to soak up that matchday feel as well as experience the newly updated virtual press room where you can sit next to the likes of Pep Guardiola himself, 
Manuela Kanji, Nathan Ake, and Erling Haaland. If you want to be in with a chance of winning this fantastic prize, all you have to do is subscribe to the Talking City podcast and leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and email a screenshot with your name, location, and contact information to Talking City Pod. That's Talking City Pod at gmail.com. And we will announce the winner very soon. Good luck. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, welcome back to the Talking City podcast. My name is Seth Parkinson, joined by Simon Bykowski, still not left me yet. Si, would you take your kids on the City to Stadium tour? I know you're not a uh, a City fan. Yeah, I would. I would. I uh, I see bits of it kind of whenever I'm I'm at the stadium, and uh, yeah, it's very good. And I um, yeah, there was a, a celebrity, one of my most treasured Twitter followers, who. Uh, I don't know at all. It's one of those, you know, when you just like, you follow someone and then uh, they follow you back and you're like, oh, very pleased with that. Um, I <laughs> saw it they'd, um, it, what, uh, no, 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 you don't follow me. You don't follow, follow me. me, actually. Um, <laughs> I follow they, you. Um, do I not follow you? You don't, Si, I'm very upset. I've been meaning oh, to ask you I'll, about I'll, it. I'll change that. I'll change that next <laughs> thing. Maybe I thought it was too much time had gone by, but I, you know, I, uh, yeah, we'll move on from that quickly. But um, yeah, um, they had uh, said they'd taken their their kids on um, on the city tour, and it was great. And you know that was point being made was that as well, it's kind of like cheaper and more available than a match. Um, so you know, in in these times where we're all counting the uh, the cost of everything, it's um, it's quite a nice way to get sort of like the feel of the stadium and the dugout and you know everything that's going on and there's a lot of interactive um things that are quite fun so yeah it's good moving on back to the game i want to discuss some points from the game that we couldn't get in in part one but my first point to to mention to you is we've obviously seen the news that's about kyle walker the interview the revelation and everything pep guardiola was asked in his press conference pre-game is Kyle Walker going to remain your captain? And he basically just said, that's not up to me. It's up to the group. Kyle Walker then didn't play against Burnley. Now, do we read between the lines and say he's been kept out of the firing line or is this just rotation? Um, I would think it was rotation. Um, because, you know, this isn't the first time Walker has been making headlines on the front page of newspapers uh, and, you know, it's not even the first time for this very thing. Like, I've been quite surprised by the reaction from from some fans this week, to be honest. Because, you know, although there are more details from Walker or whatever, like, it's still effectively the same story that was on the front of the sun, like, a few weeks ago. So, like, uh, I didn't, there haven't really been any more, any more revelations. Um, it's just that it's coming out of the mouth of Kyle Walker rather than, you know, a newspaper who... You might prefer to, you know, not to believe it until a, a player actually says it, and that's why the the reaction has come this week. But you know, it's not it's not exactly new. Um, so I was quite surprised by sort of some calls that oh, we should strip him of the captaincy and um and all this, you know, um, 
I think one of the things that the players really like about about Pep as a manager with his man management is that he will back them a hundred percent in in times like this. Um, and you know he just refused to to answer any any questions on it. And you know he, he said you know he will remain the captain because that's not my choice. But you sort of get the feeling that if he did have a choice, he would keep him as captain anyway. So. Um, I, I would be tempted to say that it was simply rotation a bit more like uh, Nunes coming in for Kovacic where, you know, he expects Lewis to need some minutes this month and that is better when Lewis is, uh, has got sort of a full match under his belt. Yeah, because we talked, didn't we, in the last pod about City's upcoming fixtures are quite favourable. We had that chat about can they win the treble again and we sort of laid out the upcoming game said who who is going to beat them, who is going to stop them. So in a way for Pep, it's good to, whilst he's got, you know, a, a sort of run of, I don't want to say easier games because there's no easy game, but but more favourable games to get to get some minutes in those legs, especially with Copenhagen coming up as well. And that's a that's a game Pep will want to win simply because, you know, his, his, his eyeball is always looking at the uh, at the Champions League. But uh, moving on then to uh, another sort of question that came out in the post-match press conference with Pep. Uh, obviously, Erling Haaland made his return from injury, played, what was it, 20 minutes or something? and was asked would he have played more minutes or less minutes and I think Pep just said if we were 7-0 up he'd have probably played less minutes and if we were losing 1-0 he'd have probably played more minutes but the questions from that are basically what happens now with Julian Alvarez does he get dropped can he play together Pep, Pep said that they can play together but will they you know what what are your thoughts on Julian Alvarez's future now you know given the imminent return, you know, he's been fantastic this season as well. Don't forget he's scored and assisted in, is he played 21? He scored 10 assisted five or something like that off the top of my head. Probably more. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he has, although I think he'd sort of, his scoring had kind of dried up a bit before Wednesday night. So it was very timely two goals for him to kind of step up and say, no, I can still play number nine. Remember? Um, I think, you know, the energy that you saw from Harlem when he came on and that kind of like, just incessant desire to get a goal is um, is something that that has been missed. Um, you know, Alvarez is is a very good footballer and he's such a team player and he's always looking to sort of um, you know link up and be involved or whatever. I don't know. There's something quite um, satisfying to watch about someone who um, is, is just has their eyes so focused on on goal it's like that kid in the playground who just picks it up and will not pass to anyone just dribbles until he scores or gets tackled um although you know having said that there were a few occasions where Haaland passed where he maybe shouldn't have done and also a few occasions where he was crying out for the ball and uh it was predominantly Doku who didn't give it to him so um I I think you know it, it, it's obviously you can't ignore Haaland um, but Alvarez has performed to a level where he still might, he, he still should get plenty of minutes um, and plenty of starts. And, you know, he will be putting pressure on, on the likes of um, Doku and Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden and uh, Jack Grealish. And he's in that pool and Kevin De Bruyne, because, you know, how often and how much can De Bruyne play? Um, Alvarez is, is a real option. Um, for for a lot of minutes he will be a, a key player for the second half of the season he just won't be as key as Erling Haaland yeah so just to clarify Alvarez has played 32 scored 15 assisted 10 now despite the fact that it feels like Erling Haaland hasn't kicked a ball this season he's been out what feels like that long <laughs> he has played 23 and has 19 goals and five assists for a player who it feels like has been away forever that's incredible. And I think you could see, like you were saying there, I think when he came on, I, I sort of remember Haaland being around the 18-yard box and the ball coming into it and him desperate to shoot on goal. And I think he had an air <laughs> shot and he was so yeah. frustrated with himself. And it was like, that's the sort of rust that you expect to see when a player's just come back. But, you know, his appetite for goal is, is going to be, you know, uncontested. And if he can if he can come back and perform at the levels he did prior to his injury and last season, you know, City could be unstoppable and that, that forward line can just be forgotten about. The rest of the team, you know, that, that picks itself. But one of the questions Pep was asked about Alvarez is how does he make the step up from being a top tier professional to being world class? So 
Do you think that he could achieve that at City, being in Erling Haaland's shadow, in inverted commas? Probably not. In in relation to the second half of the question, I don't think he can achieve that while he is, uh, while Erling Haaland is at City, basically. Um, because if it's a toss-up between the two, you're always going to go for Erling Haaland. Um, for, you know, similar to what you've just read out, Haaland's golden assists are more than a goal a game, despite him, you know, not being at his best this season, even before his injury. So um, it, it kind of depends on what Alvarez wants to do and where he wants to be. And, you know, we've sort of had years of Phil Foden talking about, you know, where his best position is and where he wants to play. Um, Alvarez is the same, you know, he still insists he wants to be a nine. And if he wants to be a nine, then he can't develop into a world-class number nine until uh, Erling Haaland's there because he's, not there because he's not going to, you know, get picked over him. So, you know, if he wants to develop and play with Haaland, you know, in a way that he played with Messi during the World Cup, then then maybe. But um, as it stands, you know, if Alvarez is set on being a nine, then uh, he's he's not going to become a world-class nine while Haaland's at City. So then moving down the list, we've got the conversation about Doku and Grealish. It's something that's been sort of plaguing this podcast since pretty much Doku signed. Like Doku keeps playing and or, or starting over Grealish and he seems to be favoured to Grealish. Now, is that because Grealish is underperforming or is this Pep's tactical mind keeping Grealish fresh for the sort of second half of the season, the running? Yeah, I mean, Grealish had played a, a lot. He'd... Um... It started eight games in a in a row, kind of December and January, and then he was ill before the Newcastle game and missed. Um, well, was kind of only just on the bench. He was he was white as a sheet throughout that night, um, and th- but then obviously hasn't played against Tottenham and hasn't played against uh, or didn't start at least against Burnley. So he's had three three games where he's he's not started, um, and Docu has started two of those. So it's kind of, again, a bit like we were saying, like, you know, the the competition for places, if you lose your place, you have to work really hard to win it back. I think um, there have been tactics involved at both times um, with kind of, particularly, it was particularly chaotic for, for the Burnley game with, um, you know, Doku and Unes and De Bruyne and Foden all in that attack. It was really quite... Um, interesting to to see I would kind of expect Grealish to start at Brentford um I think Pep will want a bit more control um but also Grealish hasn't played now for knocking on a month so if you want him to to pick up the the rhythm then he needs to to get a start under his under his belt so I think you know maybe next week we'll be talking about a bit more of a balance between the the two but it, it does you know feel like you're like oh yeah Grealish hasn't started in a while yeah because again looking at their stats sim- they're very very similar actually uh, Doku's played 23 scored 5 6 assists and Grealish has played 24 scored 3 with 2 assists so as it looks on paper stat wise Doku's Doku's slightly ahead but we all know the importance of Jack Grealish. His experience, he's 28 years of age now. His experience is key. Doku's he's 21, 22 this year, and he's like a he's like a a young kid who's just been let out of the uh, let out of the nursery, and he's like running around wanting to get wanting to get involved. So he's obviously got a lot of learning to do to become the best Man City player. But he's doing he's doing really well, and it's really positive to see that. But do you think there's pressures on Jack Grealish to to outperform him, or do you think that he's relatively safe and? Uh, Doku's more like a future proof rather than a replacement. No, no, I think there's definitely pressure on on Grealish. Um, as you know, there has been throughout his his time at the at the club, because there's there's pressure on all of them to to perform well enough to keep the the place. You know, Erling Haaland knows that if he's really struggling, then Alvarez is there to to take over from from him. So that there's never a time when any city player can feel comfortable uh, maybe other than Rodri I suppose uh, or Calvin for his debut at West Ham um, but uh, yeah it's it, it's a case where you know Grealish knows he needs to he can be confident in what he brings to the team but he can't be confident that 
that will be what Guardiola wants from the team every week. So, you know, again, we're coming up to the point where Grealish really hit his stride last season and was pivotal for quite a few months. So he will want to get back to that as quickly as possible. And he can only do that by starting games and influencing them. Yeah, and just just on the subject, you, you mentioned Calvin Phillips. It's a good segue, really, for um, for for the idea that the Euros are coming up, and you know we've seen the chaos that's been going on at Manchester United with Marcus Rashford. Jack Grealish could be looking at that, thinking while he's out of form and you know not not being great and not scoring goals, it's an opportunity for me to secure my that left wing spot for the England team. But it, it sort of feels like at the moment, both him and Marcus Rashford, despite Rashford scoring last night, are not. They're not. There's no standout for that left wing role in the England team, and um, you know I will link to to Calvin Phillips. We've sort of got that in the notes that his nightmare start for West Ham. He's obviously moved to West Ham in the hope that he can go there and play, play get some minutes in his boots and uh, again that England team. And I think the England assistant was was watching him last night in the in the stands, and well, he what was it he. Passed the ball or deflected off him or something. Passed it straight to Solanke, yeah. Yeah, no, I think with Grealish, I think it's very difficult because it's sort of like the public perception versus the coaching perception. And Grealish was this like, you know, the the reincarnation of Paul Gascoigne, according to some people, when he was at Aston Villa and, and every performance was eye-catching and he dribbled past 40 men. And, uh, and it seemed like he tried to do more and more and more to get Gareth Southgate's attention. Uh, especially during the Euros during COVID, 2021 it ended up being. And it was like the more and more he tried, the more Southgate would say, no, he's, you know, I've got better players for that, for that position. And Southgate wanted more defensive responsibility from him. And it was kind of, you know, some people might choose to think that Southgate just sort of saw his move to City and said, all right, he's a City player, I'll pick him. But Southgate saw the improvement to his defensive responsibilities and his all-round game that he made under Guardiola and said, yeah, he's, he's, he's more of a player for me now. Um, and so Grealish is less eye-catching than he might have been at Aston Villa. And a lot of people don't like that, and that's fine. But he's also more valuable to Gareth Southgate and the England team, just as he's very valuable to Pep Guardiola and the best team in the world. Um, for For the changes that he has made and the way that he plays. So, um, you know, if I was a footballer, I think I would probably rather have my club manager and national team manager happy with what I'm doing than, um, you know, the, the, the general public that are going to be in box park watching the Euros. So it's, it, it's kind of, yeah, it might not be the most popular thing, but he is doing the right things and you would expect him to be quite an important part of the, the Euros um, and in a similar way for, for Phillips, you know, Phillips has got so much credit in the bank with Southgate um, because Southgate likes what he does and likes what he brings to the England team, just as he now likes what Grealish brings. So um, it, it was a particularly brutal start for Phillips um, at West Ham to kind of pass the ball inside his own penalty area to the opposition player to give them an open goal for the, first goal um but he, you know it wasn't a great pass from Zuma to him uh but it just kind of sums up his uh his time since he since he came to see but he's got a good manager he's got a good club uh with West Ham and David Moyes and he will hope that that is enough to to get him on the plane yeah well talking about transfers Manchester City's incomings and outgoings January were, were low as expected but the sort of probably the most eye-catching one was um, the Morgan Rogers deal, which didn't include Manchester City, but City benefited from it. So let's have a look at what City. So City brought in Alex Alcala from LA Galaxy. They brought in Claudio Echeverri. My apologies for my pronunciation. And we saw Nahul Ferrezi go to Sao Paulo, 4.3 million euros. Zach Steffen left, Luis Florini, Slobodan Tedic, Calvin Phillips, Claudio Echeverri went back out on loan, and Alfie Harrison left on deadline day to Newcastle. So Sai, not nothing really very exciting to, to, to there, but for what for what fans may be interested in, why did so many of those players leave and, and uh, did they have no chance of really getting in City's team? 
Yeah, Harrison's probably the most interesting one. Um, he's been at City's Academy for a good while and has been really, really good in the um, under-18 side uh, this this season and kind of last season a bit as well. But uh, very exciting player to watch, lots of potential and whenever you lose a player to another Premier League club and, you know, you could call Newcastle a Premier League rival, certainly they're trying to replicate City's success in their, in their academy. Um, you, it, it's worth noting why that player has left and what they could develop into. Um, you know, Harrison's still pretty young, so it's quite a small fee that Newcastle have paid for him, but there's the potential for it to be three and a half million and there's also a 40% sell-on fee which is you know if if Harrison really takes off then um, City are taking a lot of profit um, on on a player that they've they've developed so um, it is it could turn into significant business and you you look at Morgan Rogers going to uh, Aston Villa in this window you know when Morgan Rogers left in the summer there wasn't really much made of it um, because he'd not made a, an impression at, at City really, but within six months, um, he's back in the Premier League and, and City have got a few extra million because of the their policy of transfer clauses that they, they put in. So um, it, it's, it's a sign that even when City, you know, let players go because they realise that they won't make it at City, they always kind of protect their interests for the future and I'm going to take a glass of water now because my voice is dying let's talk about this uh this lad from River Plate I think City are um City are sort of getting their fingers in the pie of the South American market we've got Julian Alvarez who's come through and I think a lot of the players that they look at go through the City football group sort of pool before they eventually get to Manchester City but there's been a lot of a lot of excitement around this kid uh, people, his name seems to be popping up here, there, and everywhere. And the suggestion is that he could be a future star. What, what do you know of him, if anything? Uh, not very much, to be honest. Um, my knowledge of watching the Argentine Argentine league is is not quite up there. I'd like to say I'm not hipster enough for it, but I just don't have enough time. But I'm probably not hipster enough anyway. Um, yeah, City's recruitment in South America is is terrific and. They signed Alvarez in 2022 for 14 million and he has probably added a one before the 14 now in terms of his value. So, you know, if you wanted to look at it in this way, they've kind of got a hundred million pounds of which to, um, to try and un- unearth the next Alvarez. Um, and Etchberry is a lot younger than, than Alvarez. He's only 19 and he will stay and develop at River, but um, it, it's a case of sort of, it, it's sort of like the anti Rubinho, you know, City made such a splash with the Shit Man Saw takeover in 2008 and buying Rubinho, but it was kind of noted that like all the best South Americans went to other leagues before coming, um, and, you know, City got some success out of Rubinho and had amazing success out of buying. Sergio Aguero from Atletico, but they would would have had even more success from buying Aguero if they got him straight from South America. So it's that kind of like making City your first stop in Europe um, as a way to saving money on transfer fees in the the future and getting them while they're still emerging rather than when they've already exploded in Europe. So, you know, we don't know whether Echeverri will be a really good signing, an amazing signing or someone whose name you're reading out in a few years and they've not made any impact at City. But it's got potential and when you look at the sort of track record of of the recruitment team, particularly in that area, you can't ignore it. Yeah, and obviously City have got so much credit in the bank in terms of the success that even if he isn't a success or he becomes a bit of a squad player, rotation player, if that, nobody's going to really turn their nose up too much at City because like I said they've probably replaced him four times by then anyway with 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 better players so yeah it's it's been a quiet January for City uh, obviously the the transfer online transfer fans who love a transfer story will be disappointed <laughs> pretty much with City's uh, City's business but summer is coming up and you never know who City are going to recruit in the summer but Si 
we'll uh, we'll end part two there. I think there's uh, quite a lot of information there, so we'll cut that down now, and then we'll be back in a second to talk about Brentford versus Manchester City on Monday. Welcome back to part three of this Manchester City Talking City podcast with myself, Seb Parkinson, and Simon Bajkowski. Si, City away at Brentford. You, a nice trip to London on Monday night. What a lucky man you are. City's last two games against Brentford have ended in defeat. So what's going to happen this time? Yeah, I think we can write off the second of those defeats with it being the... It was the last game of the Premier League season. Um, City had already won it. They were already on the beach thinking about the FA Cup and Champions League final. Um, but Brentford are a very good team. Uh, Thomas Frank is a coach who gives Guardiola and City and probably most uh, teams in the Premier League more to think about than the most. Uh, Brentford very good track record for, for set pieces. We were talking about cities earlier. Um, so he actually took one of Brentford's set piece analysts to, um, to the Etihad to work with Carlos Vicente. So, um, there's, there's been a lot of good going on at Brentford, uh, in recent years, which is why they've been able to get where they are, uh, in the Premier League and stay there. So they've kind of had a bit of a mixed bag of a season, but they've also got Ivan Tony back and scoring which makes things a bit more tricky for City I think yeah because obviously he's been out for so long City have not really been able to analyse Brentford's performances with him in the team so it's sort of it's almost a bit like a wild card isn't it that he's back in granted they could just look at last season and hope that it's going to be the same and you know what Pep Guardiola's quite intense with his preparation so you imagine that they're trying to cover all bases but it it, it does throw like a nice Nice spanner in the works for the uh, for somebody watching going, what if, you know, City could come unstuck. Ivan Tony could score that, you know, that free kick where he moves the ball 17 yards to the right <laughs> again, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, obviously we're recording this before the press conference. So just to make everybody aware, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. City's presser is at half one today. But Si, for what you do know, what do we expect the team news to be? I mean, the only sort of outstanding team news is if Manu Akanji is fit enough to make the squad again, uh, which he may well be because he's been training uh, for the last few days and hasn't been out for that long. So I think I think for the first time we could see uh, a fully available squad for City um, this season, which would be um, a real boost for them uh, going forward. And yeah, I think you would kind of be interesting to see whether De Bruyne starts again, having started on on Wednesday and playing 70 minutes. I, I think he's, with the gap between the games, he's got enough to start. Um, and then, yeah, does Erling Haaland come back in? Uh, I think it's going to be, you know, a, a difficult game uh, in which he won't get much much to feed off, uh, not like kind of the last 20 minutes at Burnley. Um, so it's kind of weather, it, but it, like Guardiola said after the game, it's a nice headache for him because it is kind of just which way does he want to go tactically? Uh, you know, what tactically is the best way to beat Brentford? And he's got all the options he could wish for, um, whichever way he chooses. Yeah, and I think the the benefit to City playing on Monday night is that all the other teams will have played. Arsenal and Liverpool obviously play each other, so a draw there would probably be a good result for City to uh, to close that gap and and potentially you know give them more more of a motivation to go ahead. I think Pep was saying, wasn't he, in his post-match presser about the pressure on the players, and he, he the players perform better when they're under that pressure. So to play after Arsenal, Liverpool, to know that whatever their result is could give City's players the motivation to go out there and, and win. But from a, a starting 11 perspective, what what do you reckon we're looking at? <sighs> um, I reckon Edison will start in goal. I think Edison might start, yeah. <laughs> and then probably Walker, um, Stones, Diaz, Ake, and that in... Rodri, Foden, De Bruyne, and then uh, Bernardo Silva, Jack Grealish, and I think 
Julian Alvarez might get the nod again. Ooh, well, City don't be. play Everton until the weekend, so they've got a good break. So, yeah, he's he's Harlem back in. Maybe maybe give him thirty minutes this time rather than twenty. And then it's the big one. It's Copenhagen. So hopefully that will be City will be uh, sorry Harland will be back to full fitness then. But uh, can I can I get a score prediction, sir? What do you reckon? I'm going to go three 0 City. Ooh, I think it'll be. 2-1 City I think it'll be tight you reckon they'll go 1-0 up or 1-0 down I could see them going 1-0 down they've never won comfortably against Brentford it's always been tight and edgy and I can see it being like that for at least some of the game on Monday yeah 1989 City beat them 4-1 ever since then it's been 1-0 1-0 2-0 2-1 1-0 so yeah not, not expecting a high scoring game so my prediction of 3-0 is probably out the window already <laughs> so I'll I'll say I'll throw I'll throw this in Ivan Tony to score or assist any time Kevin not, De Bruyne I hope you not throwing bets in no but that's my prediction this is what right, I would predict I see, I see. usually when I predict something happening yeah. it never happens so <laughs> I'm, I'm recording this so that it, so that I can say if it happens I can go look yeah, I made a prediction yeah, yeah. it worked <laughs> so I reckon I reckon Ivan Tony will get on the score sheet or an assist and I think De Bruyne will be on there somewhere that's that's it right. usually what I go with but uh, yeah right well thanks for joining me Si we won't be back on Monday for the listeners because City play Monday of course so we're going to be recording Wednesday we will be in the studio you'll be pleased to know and uh, I don't know at the moment who the host's going to be possibly Tyrone possibly Rich we'll have Joe Bray back imminently and uh, yeah we'll look forward to uh to talking about a 7-0 Man City win. <laughs> <laughs> right, so it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for joining me. And for the listeners, like I say, we're back Wednesday and we will see you very, very soon. Goodbye. <laughs>